Man, if you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, as we can continue to consider the truth that Jesus is better. What Hebrews tells us over and over and over is that what Jesus offers us, in fact, who Jesus is, is better than whatever had come before. And what we can know now is that Jesus is better than whatever has come to us since him. Right? Jesus is better. In fact, today we're going to be reminded that Jesus grants better faith. He offers to us a better faith. If you might wonder what is faith, certainly something we hear a lot about in the church. It's Sometimes it's people's names, so we, we hear that word, that name often. And, and as we'll see in just a minute, that we, we get a really a very clear Hebrews for what faith is. This, this chapter 11 is often described as right? This is, this is of people who displayed throughout the Old Testament, particularly displayed such great, like magnificent faith in the Lord and in his word. But what does that mean to have faith in? So what I want to do is um, instead of reading all of chapter 11 and then going back through it, we're going to kind of read it as we go. Um, and so we first, we begin with an explanation of faith. We want to try to understand what faith is. If we're calling this the hall of faith, if we're saying that Jesus grants us better faith. And, and the first explanation that we see is that it's believing what we cannot see. Faith is believing what we cannot see. Look at these first couple verses. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. I want you to, to know uh, in particular that the list we're about to go through in just a few minutes, the, the list of names that are given are all believing in a God that they could not see. In fact, not only were they believing in a God they could not see, they were believing in a messianic promise that had not yet come. That there was one that would come that would bring about salvation. One that they, that they would trust would come and they didn't know all of the ins and outs or the ways that that would look. They had different promises given at different times, prophecies that would be fulfilled. But the people listed in this hall of faith, while they are believing something that they could not see from the future, we are to believe something that we cannot see from the past, right? Because when we look at scripture, we're looking at what Jesus did. We're seeing this historical account of, of Jesus, his miracles, his life, his death, his resurrection, all of that. But uh, none of you were there, right? None of us were there when Jesus walked on water. None of us were there when Jesus fed the 5,000. None of us were there when Jesus died on the cross. Certainly none of us were there at the tomb when it, it was found empty. None of us were there when he was talking and meeting. None of us were like 
Thomas who got to stick his hand in the very holes, right? We didn't see that. So our faith is kind of looking back at something that we did not see. We didn't see it happen. And their faith, so guys like Abel and Enoch and Abraham and Noah, all these, and women like Rahab and Sarah, like they were looking forward to something that would one day happen. But understand that both of us have what we would call a messianic faith. We're believing in the fact that the Messiah did actually come or would actually come. Believing what we cannot see. There's all kinds of analogies that are shared about this, right? You're all seated right now. You have some kind of faith in that that chair you're sitting in will hold you up, right? So you're, you're having placing faith, but it's placing faith in something that you see. It's different than placing faith in something that is, ah. <laughs> and what you cannot see, okay? Man, that was good timing. Well done, like that was perfectly planned. Um, right, and something that now we can all see. And, and so that, that's the challenge, right? We're, we're looking to try to, to trust in God's way when we can't see God. And, and I, would, I would just say that's like throughout scripture and then today, it is so much why we like, like, think about idols. There are people that would rather worship an idol that they can see doesn't move. They would rather worship a golden calf that they know they literally just formed it themselves. They would have, in, in Exodus, they worshiped a golden calf that they built with their own hands because they could see it. Sometimes that's easier, right? Sometimes it's easier to have faith in the thing, to, to trust in the thing that you do see. You do see your bank account. You do see your job. You do see the work that you in and of yourself do. You do see your church attendance. You do see your offering statement. You do see how many days a week you read the Bible. You, when you are placing your faith in those things, it is not actual faith because it is believing in what you can see. So we are not only believing what we cannot see, we're also seeking what we must believe. It's imperative for us. In fact, I'm gonna skip forward a little bit and go to verse six. Because without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. We can't make it without this. We can't make it to that glorious throne room without seeking Christ. See, there is either faith in Christ that produces abundant and eternal life or they are condemned, right? Again, look at verse two. For by it, the people of old received their commendation, right? Well, they received that as a commending to the good for they believed and it was accounted to them as righteousness. It speaks of Abraham in this way. So there's either abundant and eternal life and they are commended for that or there is faith in something else producing death and eternal separation. 
We all believe something. Even when people say, I was even watching this this morning, an interview with someone who was claiming uh, atheism. The belief in nothing is still a belief. So all of us choose to believe in something, even if that something is called nothing. Don't say that too many times fast. But that, having faith in any thing or anyone other than Christ, it produces death and everlasting separation from God. So it is the opposite that produces everlasting life and abundant life now. So this is, this is like the foundation for the rest of these, uh, as, as we're going to read through these characters and these people. So let's do that. So we have this explanation of faith, and then we have examples of faith. As I was studying through this, I found myself just repeatedly underlining the two words, by faith. Maybe you would do that as you study this passage again, under, underlining by faith, by faith, by faith. And you'll find that there is typically a name that follows that, by faith Abel, by faith Enoch, by faith Abraham, by faith Sarah, by faith Noah, over and over. You'll find these by faith kinds of statements. And here's why I want you to, to take note of that we don't just see their names listed. Now we get to the end and there is a list of names, don't get me wrong, but we, we don't have just this uh, list and then what they did that was so grand, right? We don't see just Moses, Red Sea, Noah, Ark, David, Goliath, right? We don't, we don't have it that way. What it's listed here is by faith. By faith. And I want you to to know that faith is something that is given to us by God. Therefore, every time we're reminded about these people, we're not just reminded that like they were a, as though they are a story or a fable that we should want to try to emulate them. Make sure that we are not seeing this as one that we want to be like that certain character instead that we want to be more like the God that they have faith in. We want to trust in him. So let's think about some of them. Abel, verse four, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. Here's what happened. I think you know the story, or at least have heard Cain and Abel, right? Now, what we remember most about that story is that Cain killed Abel, uh, basically out of jealousy, out of rage. But what we're seeing here is that Abel was offering an acceptable sacrifice. He was offering based on God's promises. He already knew this idea of propitiation, that there was a need for sacrifice to be offered on his behalf. He knew that there was atonement that needed to be given. And so it it makes sense that he's going to give an animal, not just because he worked with animals and not with crops, but because he knew that, as we have talked about already, that the shedding of blood was what was necessary. And so that's why in Genesis 4, it says that Abel brought the firstborn of his flock, fat portions. And 
the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. You keep going in, in, in Hebrews here, but if you keep going in Genesis, you'd find a character named Enoch. In verse 5, it says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. He was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. This, this character happens to be one of my favorite in the whole hall of faith, and he gets like some of the least amount of airtime in uh, the other parts of Scripture. But it describes Enoch as one who walked with God and then was no more. That like for 300 years, he walked with God and then was no more. And then we're affirmed here in Hebrews that he did not die. And I don't know exactly what that would have looked like. I don't, I don't even know exactly why he got such a distinctive mark as being described as one who walked with God. What would that have looked like in his day-to-day -day life? I, I don't know. How, how would he have walked with God while he was a farmer? Or walked with God while he was a blacksmith? Or walked with God while he was you know, tilling the field? I, 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 don't, I don't know what that would have looked like. But there's something peculiar about the way it's described so much so that he makes this hall of faith as one who like walked with God and then was no more. Sometimes I've, I've had someone, heard someone describe it. It was as though maybe they were on their regular walk as they would have been day after day, Enoch and God. God just said, hey, want to come to my house? Let's just, let's just kind of call it a day. It's been a good run. Let's just go ahead and head to the house. I, I don't know what that would have looked like. I don't know what that would have felt like. But this kind of relationship with God the Father was commended. Think about Noah. Verse seven, by faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. He, note, note that he didn't just like build a boat. Like that, that seems good. He was obedient, right? God said, build a boat. He built a boat. God said, build it this way. He built it that way. But what we, what we need to take note of is that Noah believed the word of God. Right? He, yes, his obedience was evidence of his belief. We're going to see this again, but I think it's worth pausing and saying, asking that question of ourself. Does our, is our obedience a reflection of our belief? I would actually argue it always is, right? So if we are not obeying, it could be because we are not believing we're not, we're not having faith that what God says really is true. 
Because oftentimes what we do is we begin to assume that our way is better. We like our plan more. We like our system more. We like our, our manner of life. We think that this way works better. We like it. We like it more. It will be better for us if we go this way. And even though God's word tells us otherwise, let's continue though. Think about others like Abraham. Abraham gets a whole chunk of verses here, doesn't he? By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called, verse eight, called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him on the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundation, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said that through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So, so catch this. Abraham's life is marked by faith. It is marked by faith when he is taking his family to a land that he does not know, leaving safety, leaving like provision. But it's also marked by faith when the one that he was promised, which was already unexpected, the one that he was promised is going to be a blessing, like provide the blessing for all nations, he's told to lay on the altar. His faith was so strong in God that he believed he could resurrect Isaac from the dead. We, ha we haven't gotten to Jesus, we haven't gotten to Lazarus yet, and Abraham is already believing that if God has me sacrifice him, he can bring him back if he wants. See, it's truly remarkable what Abraham was believing. He was not only believing in a God he could not see, he was also believing in a future idea that was presently impossible for him. Like, he knew that it was physically impossible for he and Sarah to have children. So he's believing in that. He knew that it was impossible for land to be given to him in this way, for his family to be multiplied in this way. This is not something that he could do on his own. He believed that he would be the father of many nations and that the whole world would be blessed by his descendants. But guess what? He never saw what he was promised. Not, not to that degree. Okay, so he saw Isaac. He saw Jacob, maybe. But 
He never saw descendants as many in the stars. He never saw like all of the story that took place. He never saw the Red Sea. He certainly never got to see Jesus, this one who was going to fulfill that promise. What if you never see the physical healing you desire? Will you still believe in him? What if you never see the marital restoration you hope for? Will you still believe in him? What if you never experience life without pain? What if the persecution doesn't stop? Will you still believe? Or is your belief solely based on what you see? What's in front of you? Sarah is kind of mixed in that story of Abraham, certainly a large part of it. She is spoken of in verse 11, by faith, Sarah received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she was considered and since she considered him faithful who had promised. Found this quote from Al Mohler specifically about this verse I thought was so insightful to us, particularly at this time in our country's history. The Bible tells us that conception here is not merely an act of biology which conveys two important implications that we need to consider. First, there are no accidental births. Every human being is made in the image of God and comes to life because God says, let there be life. Second, there are no naturalistic births. Scripture speaks of God opening the womb. God is ultimately sovereign even over the conception of children. Oh, church, like, see, like, as, we're, as we're observing this by faith, by faith, by faith, see both the responsibility of man, like the work that men, we have to take responsibility, and the sovereign hand of God. That those, that those aren't in opposition, but in fact, they are in tandem working together. We see Isaac in verse 20. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings of Jacob and Esau. He passed those promises along. You have Jacob in verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. So he continues that blessing on and on. There's faith there. Verse 22. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning the bones. He's giving directions to keep generations alive. Why? Because he knows of the promise that was given. So he's trusting not only that the promise was given to Abraham and Isaac and to his father, Jacob, but now he's, he's trusting that part of his task is to carry that promise on. He believes that there is going to be a Messiah. He believes that there is going to be one to come. So he's giving, gener he's giving instructions to keep those generations alive. Moses 
right? By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. They were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Catch this in all of that. Did you see where, where he was placing his faith? It was, he considered, verse 26, the reproach of Christ. One that was to come, the, the promise. He, he considered what was coming with the Messiah. He was looking ahead to the one to come while he was not, may not have even been able to imagine all that Jesus would go through. He considered that the rejection of the Messiah was similar to his own rejection and it was better to be counted in his company than to be counted in the company of a Pharaoh. I would rather be scorned as a child of the king than to be praised as a child of Pharaoh. This is, this is the, the faith lived out by Moses. Then we jump even to the whole people of Israelites, right? Verse 29, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. You get things like Red Sea. In fact, the way they got to Jericho is because they crossed the Jordan River, right? These, the, the people of Israel are faithful in this way. Rahab, by faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And then there is that list, right? Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, prophets, those that are unnamed, guys like Daniel and Elijah and Elisha. All of these. Verse 32, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah, and of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refused to accept release so that they might rise again to better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. This is the story of men and women of faith. Example after example after example. And surely we could look through the New Testament, find a new list of names. We could look through the course of history sent over the last 2,000 years, list out men and women that we know, cherish, and love, some that we don't know. We could say name after name after name. So what I want us to do in light of all of that is to examine our faith. Right? We have examples of faith in others. But what does that mean for us? Right? It's one of those times where it's easy for us to just uh, applaud 
those who went before us. But uh, there's also the work of like looking inward. What does this mean for us? Like if I'm going to walk out of here, what do I do with that? First, we believe what we do not see. Maybe we might even put we should or we must. Verse three, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. You see, it's not just that we build the boat or that we give the right offering or that we read our Bible or that we show up enough times to this building. It's that we believe the word of God. So do you believe the word of God? Do you believe his commands? Would you be willing to follow the commands of God even if you know you will never see the end result? Well, you could, I, I thought about this. Uh, it is hard for many of us to get out of our comfort zone and share the plan of salvation with someone else. It's, it's a challenge for many of us. It's not something we like to acknowledge, not something we like to acknowledge in ourselves, our own discomfort in that. But we do that certainly in hopes that someone might receive Christ. But if the command is to make Christ known, make disciples, if this is the command, what if you knew no one would ever say yes to you? Would you still follow the command? Or are you only following it because of what might happen? What if, right, I think for many of us, we've been in, uh, maybe you've been in church long enough that you've, you are a, a giver. I hope that whether you've been in church a long time or not, that you are one who follows the command and the expectation to give and give joyfully. And we, we see, if you've been doing that a while, we see the, the fruit of that, that God is honored by that. And he opens up the floodgates to us, right? And he pours out blessing on us as we give back to him what he deserves. But what if you were told you will get nothing in return? Would you still follow that command? I wonder for some of you today, if committing to following Jesus is just too big of an ask, at least in your mind. It's too much I'm having to give up, Chad. Too much I have to push aside. I don't know that I believe what I do not see. I don't know if I believe really what the word of God says. I wonder if, if that's you today, if you might even ask of God, help me believe what I do not see. Think of the one who said, 
help my unbelief. God, I, I remember sitting in my office with, with now a brother in Christ who said, I, I think I believe, but like, I want to I wanna really believe. Like, I, I, want, I want help in believing. Maybe today that would be you. Maybe today you are a follower of Christ and you need to commit today to obeying his command to, yeah, to give sacrificially and abundantly. Maybe today you need to commit to obeying the Great Commission. Maybe, like, literally, maybe you can't even remember the last time you told someone else about Jesus. Will you commit today to making Christ known in all the earth? See, with each one of these commitments, each one of these things to say, do I do that? Am I doing that? It's, it's easy for us to think that we are just doing that in and of ourselves. But you see, we not only must believe what we do not see, but we receive what we do not deserve. The ability to do those things is not something you can just conjure up on your own. You see, God provided something better for us. He provided Jesus. Gives us the faith to believe. I think about Romans 3 and this explanation of, of the gospel. It says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Meaning that if we could just do this on our own, we, we wouldn't have needed Christ to come. But apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All are justified. How? By his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as that propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting you see, it is excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Faith is in itself is not a work of us either. It is also a gift of grace. Like if if all of these stories were meant to stir us to do more, be more, like work harder, then we've missed it. These stories aren't just a, like this list of names are given to remind us of God at work. Not for us to say, I want to be like Noah, or I want to be like Abraham, or I want to be like Sarah, to remind us that we earn nothing. We are given by grace, undeserved grace. 
this last part's probably the hardest part. At, at the end of this, near the end of this chapter, again, it's, it's just told us about all these people who were living out their faith and how good that is, right? Like this is a celebration of these men and women and how God has worked in them and through them and how God granted them this grace. Then check how it is described. As it goes through Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel, they conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. They became mighty in war. They put foreign armies to flight. But then catch this. About halfway through verse 35, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking, flogging, chains, imprisonment. They were stoned, sawn in two, killed with the sword. They were destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Life is hard. Living in faith doesn't make things easy. It just makes things right. We're, we do what we are ought to do when we are trusting in him. But I want you to catch this. I, I can't say it more uh, we can't do this work apart from him. You see, I've mentioned this before, like our grip isn't strong enough. We, we don't have the ability to, to cling enough to him. He must cling to us. In fact, that's what we're told. Like we love, why? Because he first loved us. This is just our response to him. Our faith is a response of his grace to us. So, so today, trust in him. Have faith in the one that you do not see. Believe that his word is true. Believe that he will hold you fast. That he is the one who actually clings to us. That he is the one that actually gives us what we need. Maybe it is today that one of those challenges, one of those questions about your own, maybe your lack of faith, your lack of trusting, was reminded for you or stirred in you and you realize I need to trust in Jesus. I need to follow his commands. I need to believe in his word. Then I would, I would say to you, as we sing in just a moment, there will be some here to my left that would love to, to talk with you, pray with you, encourage you. But, but you can't fix it on your own. So trust in the one who can. Trust in the one who gives that faith to believe. That he will hold us fast. Would you stand with me as we respond to him?